Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. The next 10 minutes are inspired by chips. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the engine. When I was a little kid, I did not have a fantastic diet. Now, you have to realize, I was growing up in the 80s, so we had, it was like the birth of processed foods. And I know the 60s and 70s kind of saw the the growth of the food industry, but in the 80s, we had all kinds of things that were just horrific for us. And very shiny bags, very fantastic marketing, and, you know, you had, like, the non-fat, the low-fat, that was a big thing back in the day. And so you could go eat as many bagels as you wanted because they were, you know, non-fat, and that was good for you, even though you were eating these hyper-dense, super-refined, just baked balls of death. Anyway, so one of my favorite, absolutely favorite snacks were Cheetos. Oh my god, the industrial spray cheese. On to be honest, I'm not 100% sure what a Cheeto like without the cheese is. I think it's some type of refined corn um, that's either baked or pressurized or fried that puffs up and then they just they just drown it in that orange cheesy in that orange cheesy powder. Oh, God. I remember, I think everybody, anybody who's ever had Cheetos can remember eating these things and you look down at your finger because you can't stop. You only stop when the Cheetos are gone. You never stop. You're like, well, you know, that's probably enough for today. No, you're going to eat until that bag is empty or that bowl is just clean. And then you're going to lick your finger if it's in a bowl and swipe it around the bottom of the bowl. But as you lick your fingers clean, because that's obviously what you had to do once you had like a solid eighth of an inch of that nasty cheese stuff on it, you you look down and your fingers are like glowing orange. It's something out of out of a goofy cartoon. <laughs> it's like an E.T. when he's touching Elliot and he fixes his boo-boo, but it's like, oh God, just gross. And and the problem is you knew this. Even as a little person in elementary school, I knew of like, oh, these are weird, man, but I couldn't stop eating them. And there are there are alternatives now, which is awesome. I'm not into them just because that's not really the way I eat. But if I was eating them, you know, I'd get after it. I think Whole Foods has a really good, really good version. Um they're the pirate's booty that that's a really good one. I'm not into the white cheddar. But there are these kind of alternatives, which is cool. And it kind of brings me to the point where I wonder, or at least I did when I started seeing these little terms, I'm like, why, why wouldn't the Cheetos brand make a Cheeto that was better for you, right? And, or, or maybe, here's another one, make it equally bad, but just not so you eat like three and a half pounds of them a week. <laughs> and the answer is, really comes down to just, why would they? Right? Because presumably to get you to eat fewer Cheetos, they would have to make it like healthier, which theoretically means less tasty. And, you know, who who out there is like, all right, I got 100 Cheetos to sell. How about I make it so I can only sell 90? No, that's that's absurd. The company's obviously motivated, as it should be, to sell as many Cheetos as it can because that's what its stockholders are expecting it to do. 
and I've been thinking about this a lot because no matter how you cut it, it's kind of like you can blame the fifth grader for eating the Cheeto. You're like, why did you eat that, you know, giant bowl of Cheetos? And it's like, well, they're awesome. You know, and for a fifth grader, they are awesome. They're these, you know, little nasty balls of mystery and they're just incredible. And then you, you, you can't really get mad at the fifth grader for eating them because they're super tasty. But you also can't really get mad at the company. It's like, why did you make these so tasty? Why did you make them so addictive? And it's like, well, you know, that's, that's our job. So you come down to wondering, okay, who is actually to blame for making this thing that is like one step above nuclear toxic sludge and people can't stop eating it? And there's not a great answer there because how could you say that the fifth grader or the person who doesn't really know or the person who's just so addicted to this experience is, is really at fault? And how can you get mad at the company from making this thing that obviously they have to make it as, as delightful as possible. I've been thinking about this because it's a horrific spiral, right? You have to make an alternative that's compelling, that's just as good, that's just as affordable and you know not as bad, but gosh, man, the, the tiger on the Cheetos thing, the whole thing is just, it's an experience, it's great. And it's kind of the same thing with media. And with interpretation of real life events. This is what's been bothering me lately. There's no way around the fact that it is popular to polarize people. It is popular to take an event or a, a news brief or anything and twist it to be the most possible offensive thing. And, and I see this a lot. I, I talk to my students a lot about different things. And one student said recently that the new Supreme Court justice obviously doesn't care about women because she's not pro-choice. And I was like, well, I mean, that's a pretty inflammatory thing. Like, how do you see? And she was like, well, she's not pro-choice, therefore she doesn't care about women. It's like, okay, well, which women? You know, obviously you're not taking into account the, the women that are, that are unborn, right? And I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying you should go one way or another. I'm just saying this is a pretty complex thing. But it was clear in talking to this to this uh, student I was working with that she had read articles and had digested them and had internalized them. And they were the most extreme version of what was happening in reality. Now, who do you blame for that situation, for this for this younger person thinking that this Supreme Court justice is out to get all women, even though she is a woman? Right? Like, who do you blame? Do you blame the student for reading this article that seemed really upsetting and very cut and dry and very clear and super logical? No, that makes sense, right? Do you blame the media outlet for publishing an article saying, hey, look, these are the facts that we know and this is how we're interpreting them and they make it tasty and delicious. And guess what? If they don't, if they don't, they're going under. Well, no, you can't really blame them either. That's the problem. Like the news outlet has to sell news and they have to make it so it's tasty and delicious and it's probably not going to be great for your head, but you got to ingest it or else they're going under. And it's striking because at the end of the day, you realize it's like there's no one really to blame. People are going to read the news just like people eat Cheetos and people are going to ingest the stuff that is most compelling to them. 
just like they eat Cheetos and read inflammatory news articles. And the alternatives are not that compelling, right? I mean, looking at this kind of thing, uh, if you had a news article that said Supreme Court justice has a pretty nuanced and complicated uh, opinion on, on abortion and, you know, she, she sides this way. That is not the same as, like, Supreme Court justice does not care about woman, women at all. You know, that, that's just not, it's not the same thing. And it's a bummer to me. It's a really a bummer to me to see that. And again, the blame is not, is, is not something that I think is appropriate. I think we're very much uh, in love with that concept that we need to establish fault um, kind of as like a legal precedence. I mean, we're a very litigious society and we, we like to know who's at fault for things. And as I thought about this over and over and over the last few weeks, I've really been realizing that there's no way to establish blame and then fix things. The only thing you can do is introduce the idea of an alternate way of thought. Okay, Just because a food is super tasty doesn't mean that's a good thing. Now, that's obviously a different way of thought. When something's tasty, it is classically, I'm sure, thought to be obvious. That's why, you know, perhaps uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, meat, you know, taste good to us in general. And, you know, cow dung does not or camel dung or whatever, whoever you do dung with. Anyway, that's obvious. When it's important to know that it's like, well, you know, sugary or salty and fatty things, classically those have saved human beings from starvation. But now we need to change that just because we get this indication that it's, you know, the sensory overload does not mean it's a good thing. And the same thing with media. It's the same thing that I've been telling my students. It's kind of like, look, when you see something that seems so black and white, when you see something that is just so compelling and amazing, you really, really need to dig deeper. This is not the time to have your convictions solidified. This is the time to realize, well, there may be more to this. This seems too obvious. And I think if we start educating people in that way, not telling them what's right or wrong, but just telling them, hey, look, this is, as old as the saying goes, this is a little too good to be true. With Cheetos and with media. So if you're around young people or you're a young person yourself, Perhaps just start thinking about that. It's like, hey, if something really is too good to be true, maybe emphasize caution with those that you're around, maybe with yourself. Because, look, ain't no way Cheetos taste that good and they're not doing something goofy to your insides. I don't know what it is, but if my fingers look like they're toxic orange, I don't know what my stomach looks like. I'm Matt Todd, and this is the engine that drives me. Go out and crush it.